You are listening to the Post-Atomic Horror Podcast with Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Episode 36, covering the Mark of Gideon and That Which Survives. Hello. Hi, folks. We are here with, uh, you know, we watched these episodes last night, and then I watched again today to mm-hmm. write my summary, and I still do not remember a thing. No, I, uh, when I went to d- write my review this morning, I actually I actually thought we were doing The Lights of Zetar, which is in fact next week. Yeah, uh, I just, I mean, looking at these titles, I thought it was cool we were going in sort of uh, uninitiated, because you and I know a fair amount of Star Trek, even if we haven't seen it. Yep. Just from episode guides, from references and other things. And I thought, okay, great. You know, this will be one of those rare times where I don't know either of these episodes by title. So we're going in sort of, you know, fresh. Mm-hmm. This this will be cool. This is this doesn't happen very often. And the reason we don't know anything about these is because they're so utterly forgettable. Yeah. In the whole history of Star Trek, no one apparently gave a shit about either of these two. No. Uh, that said... Um, for some reason, you have written quite the lengthy summary. Well, look, the, the the less that happens in an episode of Star Trek, the more I have to spend writing about it. Well, I think it, it feels like when we go back and, and you know, look at what happened, uh, it's like, well, what did I miss? Well, nothing. <laughs> nothing at all. But, you you know, you feel like you want to make sure people understand and they appreciate the nothing, I guess. Uh-huh. So that said, why don't you tell the good people about the Mark of Gideon? All right, the Mark of Gideon. Okay, the Enterprise is cruising over Gideon, a potential candidate for Federationing. Apparently the Federation is not not required to actually look at a planet before they accept it because the Gideons have refused to allow any scans of their planet or allowed anyone to come down to it. I guess the Federation's on the honor system now? Anyway, so Kirk is to be the first member of, the, of Starfleet to ever visit the planet. He, he beams down and then instantly reappears on the Enterprise, an extremely empty Enterprise. Kirk discovers that the ship is still orbiting Gideon, which is treated like a huge revelation, despite the fact that it is the most normal thing that seems to be happening to him today. Meanwhile, on the Enterprise, the crew has realized that they are short one captain. They contact the Gideon ambassador, Kevin Murphy, who shrugs his shoulders and laments the shoddiness of Starfleet technology, almost causing Scotty to jump through the view screen and choke him to death. He goes on to infuriate the crew further by not allowing them to in any way look for Kirk on the planet. But he promises to send out a search party as soon as he gets a few spare minutes. It's at this point that I would like to mention that despite resembling Kevin Murphy, uh, the ambassador has a really punchable face. Just the look of it really makes me want to fill it with several fists. Oh, yeah. Back on the em- on the Empty Enterprise, or Emperprise, as I will probably not be calling it again. Please don't. Kirk encounters Admiral Adama, a beautiful woman from Gideon wandering around the ship backwards. They return to the bridge and find the Enterprise is now cruising through space. Giving up immediately, Kirk discusses the likelihood of them surviving alone on the ship. Seems like between his ship and a beautiful woman, he could pretty much retire here. Actually, <laughs> I'm kind of surprised that this isn't what he was doing in the Nexus. Meanwhile, Kevin Murphy has assured Spock and Spock that Kirk is nowhere on the planet for reals. He looked really hard. Spock insists on beaming down, but Kevin Murphy will only allow it if Spock first beams up G. Gordon Liddy, who apparently <laughs> lives on Gideon. Spock is hesitant for who would be crazy enough to invite a Liddy onto the ship when one is not needed, but he relents. Once the Liddy is secured, Spock requests to be beamed down, but Kevin Murphy has changed his mind. He shrugs again. Now, what are you going to do? What Spock is going to do is call Starfleet. 
Meanwhile, on the boring fake Enterprise, Kirk is trying to work out what the hell is going on. He questions Adama about her homeworld. She remembers nothing except that it is packed with people, sort of like a Where's Waldo picture without the red and white stripes and misplaced wizard scrolls. They begin to hear a strange thumping noise, and when Kirk investigates, he sees hundreds of people briefly staring in at them. There's something which was their collective heartbeats, which is, frankly, kind of cool. Adama begins to feel ill when Kevin Murphy, who is shockingly involved in this whole ridiculousness, watches via his interocitor. Kevin Murphy comes aboard the fake Enterprise, and he and some guards take Kirk prisoner. Back on the interesting Enterprise, Spock has received a message message from Starfleet telling them that they aren't really too concerned about losing Kirk. Spock decides to violate orders and beams to the coordinates that Kirk went to. He arrives on the fake Enterprise, begins looking for Kirk. Kevin Murphy is explaining to Kirk that Gideon is a planet of no death. It has no disease, and its people are extremely long-lived. The problem here is that nobody is dying, and the planet is literally standing room only. Also, the incredibly fertile Gideons refuse to use any kind of birth control when Kirk suggests an airlift of Starfleet brand condoms. Ribbed for Vulcan pleasure. Kevin Murphy explains that he kidnapped Kirk to infect Adama with a virus Kirk once had. Once infected, it will spread across Gideon and take care care of the surf plus population, which is... Eh, okay. Spock finds Kirk, and then they and Adama return to the Enterprise where Bones cures her. She returns to the planet, which, uh, as far as I can tell, is still in rather serious trouble. <sighs> oh, sorry, you done? I took a little nap there. Uh-huh. Not, not because of your summary, just because... Even hearing that episode recapped, even with jokes, just oh, not God. not good. And seriously, I could not see if they solved the problem or not. I don't think that they did. They just like Kirk thinks they it's ran this, in place for an hour. Yeah, it, like Kirk thinks it's this huge deal that the Kevin Murphy decides to infect what turns out to be his daughter with this disease, so that they can solve the population problem. And instead, they cure her and send her home, and, like, I have no idea how this resolves the problem. It resolves nothing. They're exactly back where they started. Yeah, so, uh, thanks. And I guess also they won't be admitted to the Federation because they lied about basically everything. Yeah, they had this ridiculously elaborate plan where they created a duplicate Enterprise, kidnapped one uh, one of Starfleet's most, you know, esteemed decorated officers. Most diseased crew members, I assume. (laughs) Whoa, this guy's got a lot of VD, huh? They don't believe in condoms either. They made that as clear as they could for oh 1969 TV. God, did they ever. I mean, that was, you know, they, they they went as close as they could to that. It was the late 60s, and, and you couldn't just say on TV, hey, why don't you use birth control? It yeah. was still kind of controversial back then. So, But but Kirk was like, hey, you know, there are ways, there are methods. Oh, no, we don't believe in those. I can literally see Kirk going, what, you need condoms? I can get you condoms. Look, I got, I got 12 of them right here in my pocket. All for different species, too. Yes. Because, you know, you need protection against different things. Well, yeah, of course. So this felt a bit like uh, Wink of an Eye, where Kirk's wandering the ship, like, by himself, and there's Mm -hmm. a chick there. It felt a bit like uh, Return to Tomorrow, where uh, there's that dying civilization that needs human bodies to live. Mm -hmm. It it felt like a mix of a couple of old episodes that I wasn't particularly fond of in the first place. Yeah, and uh, combining them really didn't make them any more interesting. No. It also felt a bit like a a sort of a low-caliber next-gen episode. I could totally see, like, Riker trying to beam down to a planet, beaming to a fake Enterprise, and Picard fighting with diplomats to Mm -hmm. get him back. Except that that... I expect more from Spock as a diplomat, though. No, see, I, I have this theory, and, and I'm reading way more into the into the subtext here. The the way they wrote it is he's a science officer who knows nothing about diplomacy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's a Vulcan who doesn't know anything about humans. 
But the what I like to read there is he's got some daddy issues, and he says, "Fuck diplomats; those guys are assholes." <laughs> I think you know. I like I like sort of projecting that onto him because he and Sarek are sort of at odds, and mm-hmm. he doesn't. You know, that's that's why it's a nice payoff in Next Gen when he becomes a diplomat. I buy it. Yeah. No, it, it, they actually do deliberately do that in Next Gen, but now it's still just totally. I'm just I'm just looking for a no prize here. Oh sure. But really, it did feel like sort of a low-caliber next-gen episode. It, yeah. It, it, because there's a lot of arguing with, with sort of smug diplomats, which Picard did a lot of. Mm-hmm. And and the guy was really smug. I oh, my God. Ke- he was so fucking smug. The guy you say looks like Kevin Murphy. I don't see it, but I, okay. <laughs> we, we didn't really see eye-to-eye on people's appearance. I also thought that the woman on the ship, uh, Adama, or whatever the hell her name was, was was quite attractive, and you just went on and on about her giant head. She had a giant head! No, she had a hairstyle that made it look like she had a giant head. Not yeah, it thing. still made her look like she had a giant fucking head. Optical illusion. She looked girl. like the leader. <laughs> well, she wasn't green, so there was that. <laughs> and yet most of her planet mates were green. Yep. So I don't know what that was about. What was up with that? The, the, the green guys just kind of watching them. I have no idea. Like... I mean, I guess it's supposed to mean that, like, that, first of all, clearly they had enough room to build a, uh, a fake Enterprise. So yeah. I don't. So see they have what... resources and they have room. Yeah. The Enterprise is quite quite spacious. There's there's a uh, bowling alleys in it for Christ's sake. Yeah, I know, right? Like maybe instead of building a fake Enterprise, you could have built I don't know some platforms for people to stand on or something. Yeah. No, I, you you had pointed out that the outside, like they they open a window, and it looks like the outside of the uh, the Today Show. Yes, where all those idiots are just milling about, and I'm on there. Like I kept expecting some dude to hold up a sign that said Gideon three sixteen on it or something. <laughs> uh, but I, it, it, you were right. The visual of just sort of blackness and a bunch of people sort of made up in green milling about it was kind of cool. But they didn't do anything with it. No, like there's this scene where um. Like, Kirk and What's-Her-Nuts don't even notice it, but, like, there's mm-hmm. a scene where the view screen shifts, and there's all these green people just sort of staring in. Yeah, and... I'm watching them make out, actually. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I'm like, that's cool. It's a shame that there's not a good payoff for that. Yeah, no, and and, and you see it again in uh, uh, the the leader guy's um, office. Mm-hmm. Like, out, out a window. But, yeah, it's like, so? Yeah. No, and that, and that was pretty much it. I mean, I liked seeing Spock kind of roll his eyes and like, uh, diplomacy, I don't fucking know. What, are, what am I supposed to say? They've got Kirk, I want Kirk. I do like the, the sort of blatant, uh, I'm just going to disobey orders just like Kirk would. Yep. That was cool. Look, things well, are I, done a certain way on the Enterprise. Yeah. I think we're clear I, I, on that by this point. We have our, you know, we made jokes and we had our guesses as to why Starfleet, like, won't rescue Kirk or won't even look into it. Mm-hmm. But seriously, what was the actual in-story reason, do we know? Just that they didn't want, like, it was like a delicate diplomatic thing or something. Yeah, but seriously, I mean, putting aside, you know, jokes about Kirk being a troublemaker or whatever, seriously, he is a very important guy. Yeah. If he goes missing, they don't care, really? Just really not that interested. That that honestly surprises me. Yeah. That's just some kind of weak writing there. This is like the shoddiest I've ever seen Starfleet, you know? Yeah, like, they, mean, don't gi- they don't give a shit, like, they put no research whatsoever into w- into this planet. Right. And, like, apparently becoming a planet in the Federation is a huge process. Well, it is. I mean, uh, it, it, it takes a really long time, and they want to make sure, you know, that... that, that I think, and I'm kind of, I might be misremembering from, like, Next Gen and DS9, 
But I think the whole thing is you have to have, you know, gotten yourself in that Roddenberry future. You have mm-hmm. to have solved war and racism and poverty before you're allowed in. Yeah, I think – and you also have to be space traveling, right? Uh, well, yeah. That's the only – that's the only – they haven't established that officially until next gen. All but right. the the rule is until you've discovered warp, mm-hmm. you're not allowed. Like they don't, we're not. They're not supposed to make contact with you directly. Right. Is is the official rule? They can observe you. They can they can disguise themselves and blend in and, and look around, but they're not allowed to uh, to actually reach out and, and make first contact until you know. That's what the movie First Contact was. It was like yeah. the Vulcans started that, and the Federation continued it. The Vulcans th- wouldn't uh, bring humans into the into their thing until mm-hmm. uh, they discovered warp yeah and that just raises further questions you know like once you start picking at this scab this episode makes no sense no they went through all this elaborate problem to get his whatever it was rigelian meningitis or something it was vegan meningitis oh i'm sorry yes you're right. apparently contracted by not eating meat not eating <laughs> meat milk fish or eggs right thank you um, but yeah, meningitis. So it's just you know some kind of disease, mm-hmm. which you know you know Kirk is crawling with. I mean, oh, Bones of course, has, Bones has like shelves and shelves of, of antibiotics for him. But uh, I picture his VD being like uh, like Mr. Burns' various uh, various yeah, ailments, all, all trying to fight through one yeah. door. <laughs> no, see, I, I picture he's in perfect health because his best friend is a doctor. <laughs> That was and some like good to, planning, Jim. I like to think that, that that's why they hit it off at the academy. <laughs> I mean, we kind of glossed over that in the in the 2009 movie where, you know, like you saw how they met and then you cut ahead to almost graduation. But the in-between time when they became friends, mm-hmm. I assume that was while he was doing all this womanizing and like, you know, hey, uh, hey, Bones, can you? Uh, what, oh, God, what is it this week? <laughs> you got something in the lab for this? Whoa, what is that? Oh, Jesus. We haven't covered that yet. <laughs> All right. Anything else about this one? Or? Uh, I think that's it for Mark and Gideon. Didn't, didn't you have some odd thing to point out about the writer? Oh, yeah, yeah. This was co-written by Cyrano Jones. Really? The actor who played Cyrano Jones? Yeah. No, no. The, the character. Okay. Friend, Kirk. I've written you a script. <laughs> he came back in time to nice. sell to sell this, this script. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's move on to mine. The also forgettable That Which Survives. So, the Enterprise arrives at a planetoid roughly the size of Earth's moon, but with all the gravity and atmosphere and fake-looking rocks and purplish sky that we enjoy here on Earth. Kirk beams down with Bones and Sulu, who's been at his post for so long that his seat has a permanent ass groove formed in it, and also ship's geologist Diamato, to whom Matt and I immediately ascribed a comical Bronx accent. <laughs> like we do. For his part, though, Diamato sounds like a guy, and seems like a pretty capable geologist to boot. Before the away team beams down, they see one of the Catwomen show up. No, not Julie Newmar. She was in that other episode. Not Eartha Kitt, either. The other one. Lee Merriweather. Wearing too much eye makeup and warning them not to go to the planet. Oop, too late. Kirk clearly watches her touch the transporter chief and make him fall over, but is almost immediately distracted as the planet they have now beamed down to has started wobbling around like one of those bouncy castle things. Also, the Enterprise gets thrown about a thousand light years from its original position. Or as Spock insists on correcting the navigator, 990 point something light years. Fine. Down on the planet, Sulu just jumps to wild conclusions about what happens. Uh, the Enterprise must have blown up. Yeah, thanks, Sulu. This is why you don't get to go on away missions anymore. <laughs> Lee Merriweather kills Diamato with that same weird death touch thing, which brings the landing party subplot sort of to a dead end. 
Sure, stuff happens, but it's a lot of running back and forth on a fake-looking planet. The usual, you know. Thankfully, we have Scotty and Spock back on the Enterprise trying to work out some technobabbly stuff. This is essentially what saves the episode from being entirely forgettable. The odd chemistry between these two guys is something I really enjoy for some reason. I also like seeing Scotty crawling around in narrow passageways fixing stuff. I'm not sure what this says about me, but there you go. Eventually they work out that, I don't know, the usual. Long dead civilization, defense mechanism, something, it doesn't matter. Nothing cool happens, nobody learns anything, and everybody makes it out okay. I don't know, I'm bored. Can we move on to the animated series now? Uh, not yet. Oh, damn it. Yeah, I, I, I went through and watched this a second time just to pick up plot points, and I got bored again. Was, uh, no, uh. This really, this week, just nothing fucking happened. And it wasn't, it wasn't fun to hate it like it was last week. Yeah. And it wasn't, it wasn't like I got angry and can at least get some good material out of it, like uh, Plato's Stepchildren of the Apple. It's just like, oh, something needs to happen. Yeah. Just, oh, and another thing that happened this week on both of our episodes, Spock has a serious bug up his ass. Well, in this one in particular, he they the, whoever wrote him wrote him very like first season data, like very taking everything really literally. Like Kirk says, yeah. uh, "It's a ghost planet." He says, uh, "There's, there's uh, no reason to bring the supernatural into this, Captain." Oh, shut up! It's a thing. Come on. There was a funny line when um, the the Enterprise gets thrown, and uh, Spock says, "It's fine. I just hit my head." And Uhura says, "What happened?" He says, "Well, I hit my head against the console." <laughs> That was kind of just, like, broad comedy funny. Yeah. Uh, but then then there was a really forced line where uh, uh, Scotty says, uh, I'll get I'll get better than warp aid if I have to sit on the warp engines and coax it out myself. And uh, Spock says, well, you shouldn't do that. That's dangerous and undignified. Uh, shut so, up. Just Spock, shut up. like, you've been... First of all, this is your third... If nothing else, this is your third year, third year on this show. Right. Like... Although if you count the pike time, you know, as and and since the menagerie happened during this series, we know the cage is official canon. Yeah, exactly. So I mean Therefore like, he he was on a previous five year mission, so he's been around humans for a long time. Yeah, exactly. Like he knows how this stuff works. He's just in a yeah. mood this week. I guess. He's on his Ponfar period, I guess. <laughs> Going back but, to his yeah. room again to play the to play the <laughs> the sitar and listen to the cure. Maybe he's maybe he's pissed off because the season sucks. <laughs> I would be. Yeah. Or There's maybe a, Bones just put his brain in wrong. <laughs> yeah, that might be, because ever since then. <laughs> and he's not going to be right until they put his Katra back in in uh, Star Trek Three. Yep. Actually, that um, explains quite a bit. Yeah, it does. Um, There's a scene at the beginning, um, and I, I, I'm going to play a clip here, where, they're, they're, you know, it's the typical setup. They've arrived at a planet, and it's Kirk and Spock on the bridge talking back and forth. And Shatner sounds drunk. That's that's all I can uh, that's all I can say, and I'll, I'll play the clip here. But the inconsistencies are so compounded as to present a seemingly impossible phenomenon. But a fascinating one, Mr. Jordan. It's just like, wow, are you? This was this the best take they had, or what? I don't know. Uh, fascinating one was this back. Sounds kind of like that tape of Larry King that we've played on our other show. Uh Oh, we get to see Dr. Mbenga again. That was yeah, cool. That was really cool. I was very pleased to see him. I, I kind of think he's sort of uh, Bones' number two. Like, yeah. Uh, like Chapel's his, his head nurse, but as far as the next doctor. Yeah. Uh, I, I like to think Mbenga is mm-hmm. it. I mean, the only time, like, 
whenever we're in sickbay, it's because, you know, Bones is there. Right. But, I mean, I assume that, like, Mbengo works the, you know, the night shift or so- something cool. Well, Bones is always going on away missions, and you still have sick people then, so... <laughs> Somebody's got a boss chapel around while he's he's off having fun. Yeah, someone someone needs to have someone needs to provide soup for her to have thrown at her. <laughs> Purple soup. <laughs> there was also speaking of uh, crew members like oh, rounding God. out to the background. <laughs> Shall we say a modestly unattractive female lieutenant oh, sitting God. in the Sulu seat while he was on the away mission. <laughs> And, and of course, since we imagined that that Diamato sounded like you know, oh, I'm I'm a geologist over here. Oh, it's great to be on this mission with you, Captain Kirk. Oh, hey, over here. We decided that she must be his horrible wife. <laughs> and they live somewhere down in engineering, and they just hang their laundry across <laughs> like Scotty's you know thing. And he wears a wife beater when he's not in uniform. Yeah. You get home right now. You want some more coffee, Mister Spock? There, hon. Yeah, and she didn't sound anything like that either. She was fine. And actually, you know, yeah, she she it wasn't much to look at, but it was cool to see another female officer on the bridge. That was, and she got a lot of screen time in this too. She did, and a lot of lines. And yeah, you actually a bit of tension between her and Spock, where he was kind of annoying, but you know, you actually had a theory on on her. Uh, extended I thought she looked time. like kind of a frumpy version of the uh, of the main chick of of Lee Merriweather, but. Apparently not. I like it. The only reason she could, someone who looked like that could be on Star Trek is if she was in makeup. Yeah. I just, I didn't, uh, I didn't get it. But yeah, hey, you know, maybe she was somebody's sister. Or uh, niece or something. Yeah. It it doesn't matter. The fact is, you know what? Not everyone's going to be hot. No, that's true. Also, again, nice to see a woman on the bridge who isn't a girl. Yeah, absolutely. And and not a yeoman. Like someone doing Sulu's job, Mm. just navigating the ship. That was cool. But yeah, not not much uh, not much on the eyes. No. Um, it was kind of cool, I guess, that the Lee Merriweather chick, when she would touch you, all this each cell in your body would explode. Yeah, that's a really cool idea. Although they would just fall over, like it's not like you got a cool explosion no. effect or something. I they assume that they collapse. would explode, like uh, like uh, oh god, what the fuck was her name? I don't know. Bad girl from last week. Ah. Yes, uh, Yvonne Craig. Yvonne Craig, thank you. Just just explode like that, but no. Nope. Apparently it just makes your arm hurt. I, I guess. I don't know. There was just, there was really a lot of back and forth. There was a lot of coming over here, going over there. But I did, I did enjoy, like I said, the, uh, the stuff between uh, Spock and Scotty. Mm-hmm. These two are probably the smartest guys on the ship in completely different ways. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, Spock being, you know, the, the sort of uh, abstract, like, uh, hypothetical science guy, and, and Scotty being the, the, the fix-it guy. Or as uh, Kevin Murphy Ambassador said in the previous episode, your repairman. <laughs> Which was a legitimately funny line. That wasn't an accidentally funny line. That was written funny, and it was funny. Mm. Why don't you get your repairman to look oh, at I'll it? Oh, I'll repair your face in a minute, I will, Sonny Jim. Get a lot of yeah. static over there, Captain. <laughs> yeah, that was, they actually played it out like that, yeah. too. I didn't hear that. Quite, didn't quite get that. What, what's a stand by, please? <laughs> Scotty Ixney. But no, it's, it, it was cool. It's just cool seeing those two kind of trying to solve a puzzle together, coming at it from different directions. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was written well. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was performed well. Like, Doohan's a pretty decent actor. And, of course, Nimoy's good. And it's just nice because Scotty, apart from maybe Kirk, is like the most passionate guy on the ship. Oh, He's totally. Very, very emotional, very into what he does. And playing that against Spock is is funny and interesting, and you know it's a good dynamic. I like it. Mm. I like those two together. Yeah, I mean, I'm always interested to see some of the you know the the lesser 
crew members. Well, yeah, of. pairings of, of guys that we don't typically yeah. see. Like you, you especially in like season one, really uh, remarked a few times that you liked Sulu. You like his like weird sense of humor. Yeah, and, you know that kind of thing. And you know, I mean, unfortunately, that's been lost a lot in the it. more recent. Uh, it has season one. Sulu was great. Yeah. You know, if anyone's interested, two minutes left. Yeah, and now it's just like, maybe the Enterprise exploded. Has anyone yeah, thought of that? magic. I don't know. Oh, a wizard did it, Captain. <laughs> it appears to be held with some kind of glue. I don't know. <laughs> so, yeah. Please don't um, touch me, attractive lady. <laughs> I am for you, Sulu. No, I don't think that you are. Uh. Her thing was... She, um... She would, I guess she was like the defense mechanism of the planet, and each copy of her would be sort of configured to the genetic pattern of each person. Yep. And she would come touch them. And so at the end, Kirk had the other guys, like, because she was coming for him, he had uh, Bones and Sulu standing in front of him, and she couldn't do anything. <laughs> Which is kind of funny. I, but I don't think it was meant to be funny. I, I liked that that she then created, like, there was two extra ones of her, and mm. so they bamboozled it by switching places. Yeah. It's just, really? Like a little shell game. Like, find the lady. <laughs> yeah. Not, uh, not great. Not, not the best escape plan. Not so much. This is really just very, again, very forgettable. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I liked the, the Spock and Scotty stuff. Other than that. And, you know, it was, it was fun making pretend voices for D'Amato and his wife. That, that's he, usually the best not way. Not even his wife. That's usually the best way you can tell we're bored with an episode, is if we yeah, make a character. Just, when we just pr- project a character onto someone who who doesn't exist, like the green guy in uh, in the lot of trouble. Yeah, or Mr. Hengus. Or Mr. Hengus. Our beloved Mr. Hengus. I think I think we just about have enough uh, pretend, completely inaccurate Star Trek characters to build our own uh, Peter David New Frontier style uh, starship of of secondary characters. I would be completely down with that. We could write a whole series of spinoff books. Yep. Of Mr. Hengus, that green guy. And the Diamatos. <laughs> and I'm sure we'll have other people. Oh, absolutely. Before we're finished with season three in the animated series and the movies. Oh, I hope we get to meet Q this week. <laughs> Over here. All right. You Anything always want to meet Q, and I'm meeting Q. <laughs> anything, anything more to say about this one? I think that's it. I think we can move on to... Uh... All right. In the future. In the future. Why don't you tell us about in the future? I shall. So, in the future. In the future. You can join the Federation by simply telling them that you've got a great planet. Seriously, they won't do a background check or anything. I don't know why Bajor had such a had to wait seven fucking years. <laughs> uh, and for mine, in the future, I didn't write. I didn't write. I realized as we started recording that I didn't write one. I could have quickly come up with one, and you know what? Fuck it. I don't care anymore. <laughs> In the future, Al will lack professionalism. Uh, in the future, they will let women drive starships. How about that? That'll do fine. fine. I phoned it in. Sure. They, look, if they're going to phone in the episode, I'm going to phone in the, the commentary. <laughs> I do have a good quote, though. All right. Let's do yours first. All right. Mine is uh, Spock reacting to uh, asshole bureaucrats. We must acknowledge once and for all that the purpose of diplomacy is to prolong a crisis. That was fun. I just enjoyed that coming from Spock. This is legitimately fun coming from him. And there's actually a nice uh, Chekhov bashing line for my quote. 
Once in Siberia, there was a meteor so great that it flattened whole forests and was felt as far. Mr. Sulu, if I'd wanted a Russian history lesson, I'd have brought along Mr. Chekhov. So yeah, that's that's, that's nice because I don't even think Chekhov was in. No, I just I love the fact that they're not only sticking it to Chekhov, but they're sticking to it, it to him when he's not around. Yeah, behind his back. Yep. And you know, they. I mean, uh, I think I think the idea is that he and Sulu are friends, but it doesn't matter. No. I don't think Sula likes him very much. I think they just have to work together so he gets along with him. Uh, it's one of those cases where, like, where like Chekhov thinks Sulu is his best friend, and yeah. Sulu can't can barely tolerate him. No, we yeah. we work together. Listen, I like to, I like to have a good working relationship with people, but we're not friends. Look, you're, I'm sure you're a lovely person. We have to sit here for twelve hours a day looking at each other. So yeah, I like to talk, but it doesn't mean I like you. <laughs> Stop telling me about Russia, goddammit. His best friend is Mrs. D'Amato. <laughs> oh! <laughs> all right. That is all for this week. Next week, I was looking at the episode titles. Two more that uh, I really don't know anything about. Yeah. What is it? The Lights of Zetar and uh, Requiem for Methuselah. Yeah, we have... No, no idea what's going on in either No, those, very so. two very Star Trek-sounding episode names yeah. uh, about which we know nothing. I mean, we're almost finished with Season 3, so even if we have a few more boring weeks like this at least you are almost out of the woods mm-hmm. i am now seeing that i was not wrong about season three there were just a couple of high points that threw me off yeah it's it's a shame they were all clumped together at the beginning yeah i wish i i would have paced the season better like if i had to deal with all these episodes i would have at least you know i mean coming right out of the gate with spock's brain and the enterprise incident was already weird yep. but uh we we do still have turnabout intruder to come so there is that uh-huh which, for, for those of you who don't know, Kirk uh, swaps bodies with a lady. Mm-hmm. So you got that to look I'm for. sure resulting in exactly the kind of jokes you'll expect from Star Trek. Uh-huh. Our friend Irish Gav has uh, called dibs on that one the second he heard we were doing a, uh, a Star Trek. <laughs> oh, that reminds me. Uh, we, we plugged this on our other show, but we should plug it here, actually, where more people might be. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Irish Gav, who you've heard on this show at least once mm-hmm. a season, um, and his friend English Gav... <laughs> they live together. It's not confusing at all. They're both named Gav. Not to me. Have started a podcast. I don't know if they intend to, to see it through, but they're at least committing to doing one more. Yes. Uh, the intention is for them to go through Doctor Who in a similar way that we're going through Star yeah. Trek. They have a lot more ahead of them, and they don't seem to be quite as into it as we are. So I don't know. I don't know if they'll see it through, but I want them to yeah. because... They, it's funny. It's really. I I, I really enjoyed the first episode, and I'm very much looking forward to the second, which should include Daleks. Yes, yes. So uh, uh, we will we will give you a link on our site. Mm-hmm. You should check it out. Uh, we've mentioned this before, but it bears repeating. Irish Gav has also been reviewing uh, Voyager. God bless him. Oh God. Um, uh, in blog form, uh, a couple of paragraphs for each episode. Nice, nice, funny little encapsulations. Uh, and he's been he's been coming out with those regularly. I think he's well into season two of that now. Mm-hmm. So, so good on him. I might uh, when we get to Voyager, I might just start stealing his jokes. Cause, that would uh, mean we wouldn't have to watch Voyager. That's true. That is very true. All right, that is all from us for this week. We will be back next week. night, folks. The Post-Atomic Horror Podcast is a co-production of Ron Algar Watt and Matt Robotham, copyright 2011. Please don't sue us, we're just doing this for fun. <laughs>